Welcome to the Talk of the T-Town podcast, where we discuss all things track cycling. Broadcasting from the Valley Preferred Cycling Center, I'm your host and executive director, Joan Hanscom, along with my co-host, athletic director, Andy Lakatosh. I'm really excited to bring you this episode of the Talk of the T-Town with Dr. Kristen Keim. I will say up front, though, that we did have a bit of sound recording issues. Uh, so we we ask you to bear with us on the sound quality a little bit this week. The content was really good, and Kristen has a lot of interesting things to say. So we didn't want to lose the episode. Um, and we just wanted, wanted to be upfront with you that, yes, bear with us on sound. We know it wasn't terrific this week, but the content really is. So please listen on and enjoy. Right. Welcome to the Talk of the T-Town podcast, uh, broadcasting live from Bryanesville, Pennsylvania. Today's special guest, is Christian Keim of Keim Performance Consulting, um, otherwise known as a sports psychologist. And I cannot think of a more relevant guest to have in this week of all weeks uh, than somebody who deals with mental health because it has been an incredibly <laughs> stressful uh, week. Regardless of your political affiliation, I think everybody is feeling the strain of election mm -hmm. week. So I think we could not have asked for a more appropriate guest this week. Uh, so while you may not be listening to this on election week, I'm sure it'll bring back some PTSD for you of election week. <laughs> We're queuing up right now that uh, <laughs> you can flash back to the strain of, of, of election week when you listen to this podcast. Um, but I want to thank Kristen for joining us um, and uh, sort of tee up for our listeners who Kristen is and what she does. Um, Kristen comes from a, a remarkably similar to myself background, although perhaps a bit more accomplished than my background. Um, we uh, both share a background in the ballet uh, as well as bike racing. And we actually uh, met through ballet, but we both took divergent paths from our ballet careers. Uh, Kristen went on to become a professional bike racer and then pursue her degree in sports psychology. And I left um, ballet to become a middle-aged cat tree lady bike racer um, and uh, pursue working on cycling on the, on the other side of things. So we have a similar but divergent background. Um, Kristen has worked with athletes from Olympians and medalists and world champions uh, all the way through middle-aged cat tree bike racer ladies like myself. Um, and so Kristen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. I was excited and I'm really excited about this podcast. Um, I, you know, I, I still think that the this medium is one of my favorites. Whether you're into bikes or not, I hope today's episode is something that you might want to share. Like like you know, Joan said, um, I, I hopefully this, you know, it might brought up PTSD with like the idea that this was um, taped, but maybe this will be the salve that we all need because I think it, it might take us no matter what outcome, um, a few weeks to, to, to everyone just kind of get good sleep and <laughs> stop looking at Twitter all day long. <laughs> right. Or, or doing what I've done, which is the self imposed media exile. Um, I can't yeah. bring myself to turn on the TV or look at my phone. Um, it's, it's oh, you're doing good. That's probably the healthiest. <laughs> you know, we don't like extremes, but you know, that's probably the better of the extremes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't, uh, I can't look. I keep, you know, just look away, look away. Keep looking um, away. That's all I'll say at this point. Just, just it, don't come back yet. <laughs> so I, I joked when I asked you to be on the pod that I thought this was going to be like a very special after school special type episode because um abc I mean, because we've because we've worked together for a very long time and um mm -hmm. and so i think sometimes people are not willing to admit that they need a sports psychologist they're not willing to talk about those mm -hmm. things um whereas i think that it's incredibly useful thing to do and i also think that you know in the high performance world where so many of our IT town athletes play it's becoming a much, much bigger tool in the toolbox for folks. Mm -hmm. um, and so mm -hmm. we sort of said anything, anything goes in this conversation today because 
Uh, it's important to be honest about the need for a sports psychologist in your life, whether mm-hmm. you are a middle-aged mm-hmm. lady cat three or a, mm-hmm. a long teen athlete on the Olympic uh, mm-hmm. on the Olympics pathway or a, a retiring world champion. It doesn't matter um, mm-hmm. who you are, but there's a benefit to everybody. And I think if we're honest about that up front, everybody wins. And so we may yep. go down some weird path. We may not. We may keep it all all totally upbeat and happy but I'm not yeah and and, yeah like I I tell people it's we're all humans and I think that um you know sometimes we just it yeah I mean it's it's the true strength is is vulnerability of asking for help um and you know I think that's one of the most courageous thing is when I get a new email through my website or uh, in my inbox and whether if I have time, you know, to add on a new client or not, I always make sure that I write that person back and just say, you know, that's one of the first, like most courageous things you might've ever do is just ask for help. Um, but you know, but there's still a lot of obvious stigma and it's still, um, it's still really hard to be vulnerable and to admit that you, are struggling or to just want to really be the best, best you can. You don't even have to have like an acute issue. I mean, no one's perfect. So don't worry. I will find something we can work on. (laughs) Um, But I do like that, you know, you don't have to be, you know, super anxious or, you know, having issues after a crash, right. Or an eating disorder or or these like things that we look at, like, well, of course they're working with a sports psychologist or a psychologist. Um, You know, no, if you just really want to, be the best that you can be, whether it's at your job, being a parent, being a partner, training for, you know, just to do your first fondo. I don't care. You know, when I talk to someone who's middle-aged cat three back ladies, my conversation with the next person who might be racing the Giro d'Italia is not that different on some every any given day, because at the end of the day, it's we're human and it's a lot of things outside of sport that actually might be negatively, um, you know, impacting your optimal performance is what we call it in psychology um, for whatever your goals are. Yeah. And I think that's an incredibly uh, important thing. And I think it goes to the name of your business, right? It's kind performance consulting. It's, it's how to perform best, right? How to optimize yourself. Um, And, Mm -hmm. and you're not limited to bike racers. You are, you are, working with a host of people across the spectrum. Um, but, you know, it, that is a really important thing to remember. And I think it's a part of that high performance mindset, right? We, we just did a, um, a pod with Carly McCullough, who um, is a, a, tr- a track racer from Australia. And she, she made me laugh when we were speaking with her because she said that her sports psychologist worked on with her on a happy Carly is a fast Carly. And as soon as she said that, I thought, oh, wait, happy races go faster, right? Which is your mm-hmm. mantra for, for your mm-hmm. clients. And so, you know, mm-hmm. there's something really uh, true about that. If you are happy, you perform at a higher level and, and how you get to happiness may not be anxiety attacks. It might just be finding a little bit of peace and time out time and, and how do you get the tools to have that con- kind of calm mind or focused mind not connected to anything negative just you know how do you optimize yourself and so that's an important thing burned out I mean I think that's where we you know we find a lot of that where we can convince ourselves we're happy because I can tell you right now winning whatever is not going to make you happy um right I mean Mike go watch Lindsey Vaughn documentary go watch Michael Phelps one I mean both athletes miserable throughout their whole entire careers and they are now happier than they ever were and they're not even competing in their sport and they're not that identity. So, but if they might've had the right help, maybe they wouldn't have been as successful. Maybe they would have, but I hopefully they would have been happier through that. Um, And yeah, I mean, sometimes you have to sacrifice things, but I don't believe it's worth sacrificing it where you don't even want to go back being in that part of your life. Um, and then sometimes we have to learn the hard way. We just have to go through really hard things to fi- find our pathway. And maybe, um, so I think that happiness is going to be completely different for everyone. Um, and, you know, happy races 
go faster actually was like not my thing. It was something one of my clients, um, it was right before the hashtags happened. And um, he was like one of my first like professional cyclists. He was a U23 rider. And um, one day I must, I, I, we were just talking about like kind of the same thing, like a happy whatever makes them, you know, faster. And they were, you know, you know, checking the boxes and kind of figure it out. And, um, and he said that he wrote it back in the email to me. He says, yeah. And like happy races, they're faster. And I was like, Oh my God. I was like, that's going to be my slogan. And he was like, it should be. And then that was right when the hashtag started. So I started doing that and, you know, I mean, it just, it stuck. And, you know, I, I kind of like it in a way because it is fundamentally very simple, but I'm also very trained to know that as humans, we, we're very simple, but yet complex. So again, like it's not, you know, some people are just like, oh yeah, happy races go faster, whatever. And I'm like, no, really? I'll take, I'll argue you down any day, but everyone's happiness may look different. You know, um, right. working in, in the medical field for a long time in behavioral medicine in hospitals, you know, someone going one day with half as, you know, not as much of a mental health challenge, like severe mental illness and being able to like themselves a little bit better or not be as depressed. I mean, you know, that's their gold medal. And so right. that is their happiness. But some people would, you know, they would think that was their worst day ever. Right. So um, it's a, I mean, I kind of say I'm Sherlock Holmes of happiness. <laughs> that's a great way of framing it. It's, it's, a, it's a great way of framing it. Because uh, you do have to get like peel back the layers and figure out, you know, that that thing underneath it all. And um, yeah, and I, I think that's a ongoing long work in progress because it changes so mm. much depending on where you are in life. Um, but, you know, you, you mentioned it when we started. Um, you and I started working together way back in 2015. Um, I, I, had had a, <laughs> yeah, I'd, I had had a terrible bike crash. Um, and I rushed my way back into racing after, you know, multiple surgeries, I just went right back to racing and that was a mistake. Um, and you know, I think head injuries was a big player in that. And that, I know that's one of the things that you like to focus on. And we certainly are, mm -hmm. um, we are observant of that here at T-Town with our junior kids. And we want to make sure that they're well-educated about head injuries and, uh, awesome. But, you know, in my case, I'd had a, a good, strong whack on the head and uh, probably started racing before that, that TBI was fully resolved. And mm -hmm. as a result, kind of rewired my brain for anxiety. And it was a big leap to admit that. Mm -hmm. And it was a big leap to say, oh, gosh, I'm going to reach out to this person who I really only know through Facebook and say, hey, can right. you help me? Um, but, you know, it, it has been something that I think is really rewarding uh, working with you. And so I, I wanted to, you know, make sure that, you know, people know that it, you can come to this through all sorts of different pathways, um, and, and have it pay off and, and help you find that sort of process of rewiring your brain a little bit differently, but then also having tools to, to navigate mm -hmm. times like today, um, where, you know, yeah, I have, I have tools in the toolbox that have nothing to do with my life on the bike, but I'm applying them in, getting through my work life or getting through election week work or... life I mean that's <laughs> been like that I mean you know when you came to me too it was more about like get me back on the bike and I, I was you're having fear of crashing I mean you know it was like that's what you thought you were reaching out for and then right. it was sort of like coming back those layers where I was like whoa we got okay <laughs> wow I got lots of red flags but you know I had to meet you where you were at like I knew right. there was like a lot more behind there and I kind of suspected there was a lot more and then that then you were very honest like you know yeah. when you filled out your paperwork of you know your mental health challenges and that were you know just obviously got exasperated by this a because you know the chemicals in your brain are um you know, my, actually my dissertation and, you know, so I have like a, I have a master's in sports psychology, but I also have my doctorate and I'm just a clinical psychologist. Um, so I could just tomorrow work with anyone and not just athletes if I chose to. Right. And I do, I mean, I work with a lot of people that some don't even compete anymore. They don't even really do sport anymore. But again, when they reached out, it was sort of like about the sport and then you know, realized that 
the sport was actually making them miserable or whatever kind of stuff came up for them. And I still work with them. Anesthesiologists. Um, I mean, some of the best engineers and bike companies. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. I'm very, I'm just very um, privileged and honored that a lot of these amazing human beings like yourself would even want me to be a part of your story. But, you know, it was interesting because you came with this, thing that you thought you needed to fix and when you fix that everything's gonna work out and then it was like over time it was like whoa like right oh okay there's a lot more to it but I had to meet you where you're at still but then you know to the point where you started to trust me and we had rapport then you just got more comfortable sharing when you know you did you were able to get past that in a way but it also made you realize that, you know, maybe there's other parts of your life that, you know, you weren't happy with or that you would like to change. Um, because, right. yeah, we've been on a lot of journeys since 2015. Yeah, <laughs> yes, we have. We absolutely have. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm thankful for that. And it's, it's, I think for me, speaking very personally, it's been super helpful to work with a person like you because you do understand the broader ecosystem in which I function. Um, right. Because mm-hmm. my, it's not just my hobby. I'm not just a bike racer for fun, but it's also the right. that I inhabit. And it is useful to have a person who understands the whole ecosystem. The um, culture. And, and, it, yeah, and, and it, just the ballet piece, like understanding yeah. what you brought were like. I mean, that's a whole other culture people don't understand. Um, <laughs> very few. Like it was interesting because I was actually talking to one of my clients about this yesterday when I was a dancer, I was, I, I don't know how to say it, but like a higher level than the small little town I grew up in. Um, and I went on and, you know, I had a, you know, I got a scholarship at the University of Georgia. And like, I thought I was going to, you know, work at Dance Magazine and dance off Broadway. Like that was my whole like envisioning when I was 18 years old. Um, so dance was a big part of my life, but you know, I was very athletic too. So it wasn't my whole thing. So I've always been kind of like, a lot of different dimensions for me that was normal but then I knew I saw people that were like eh, just like didn't take it serious me but then the other extreme of like it was their whole world there was nothing else it was just dance right um and maybe that's a good and bad thing about me because like maybe you know what if I'd only stuck really hard with dance or really hard with cycling what would have happened but you know and looking back it's like no no I like to be kind of in a lot of things which I think is you know, why I ended up like being a psychologist, but I never ever envisioned it, but I was very type A, like very type A and perfectionistic. Um, and, you know, I tell people to this day, um, I'm a recovering perfectionist. So having known the era that you grew up in, and when we had that dialogue and I understood the importance yeah. of dance, it taught me a lot about more of the world and the culture with even body image and discipline and rigidity that I don't care if you, you're not doing ballet if it doesn't have that rigidity. And I mean, that's just, that's literally what the whole art form is. Correct. Yes. And it's that, I think, and I think that is one of the ways that ballet and cycling, at least in my mind, overlap Mm -m. so much, right? Like, Oh, totally. I I would agree with that. That, Sort of quest for perfection in the ballet studio may be you know reflected in the image in the ballet studio right because it's all mirror driven and it's so i don't know that is that repetition right it's the absolute act of repetition every day for hours until you are perfect um and it you know it could be a finger placement or a wrist bend mm-hmm. or whatever like how how you lift your chin up right it's just so much perfection in the details but then you transition over to cycling and and it's it can go the same pathway, right? It's the perfect oh. weight per kilogram. It's the, or, or, you know, watts per watts per kilogram. It's the hitting the right power range. It's that same addiction to perfection. The perfection is just shifted to be a different thing. It's, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've held 250 watts for three minutes, right? It's, it's perfection in a different way. That's the but it's, five fuetes that you just did. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> Whatever. Exactly. It's the same 
thing. It's, so well, it's the same so chemical boost that we get. <laughs> it's, it is super amazing to me that like you go from one just perfectionist pursuit to another perfectionist pursuit. There was a few dancers in the early 2000s that I remember were professional that had been dancer ballet dancers i think i'm at like a two or three i mean not that i'd say every dancer is going to go on to be an amazing cyclist but i you know it wasn't like i was the only person that i remember right. that had a prominent dance background i mean you know you, you included as one of those people um and i tell people i'm like yeah but dancers are like oh my god the endurance that we have to have i mean you know i always think about how the hell did i do five eight hour days and you know four hour ballet performances like you have to have stamina so on three you know, apples a day exactly <laughs> <laughs> <And> a rice cake <laughs> um and when your era was you know probably even worse than even what I grew up in because I didn't really see it till I like I saw it but it was just like it's a, it was a little bit more micro. Like I had a lot more people who had eating disorders. They may not have been looked even like it. They might've actually looked like, like a healthy athlete, but they were probably doing the binging, you know, yeah. they were probably like, this was before that was even like an eating or a real eating disorder. So I started to see more girls when I was in college who like obviously had something going on. Um, because when I went to like, you know, institute, things like that, I just, the culture was, you know, I mean, I, I, it didn't impact me as much as heard about it, but it was just maybe just being naive a little bit, but I luckily grew up like in my studio, it wasn't as much, there was a lot of different body types because I, I wasn't brought up in an institute of, from that beginning. I just happened to be good at dance. <laughs> um, and I was, right place at the right time someone saw something in me right it wasn't like I was brought up in that place of like your body um you know has to be a certain way like a lot of people are and that impacts you and you know I mean cycling was way worse and male cycling so when I got into cycling I was like whoa flaming eating disorders and disordered eating which is different you know you have you know being disordered and I almost 99.9 of us you, ha you have to have disordered eating because most humans are not tracking what they're eating or their micros or, you know, oh, I got so many cows, I got so much protein. I mean, you just, I've got people that text message me because like they were anxious because like they weren't going to hit whatever, you know, protein max because their, their flight was over like, you know, delayed or something. And I'm just like, okay, that is a disorder lens on it right but they right. may not have like a clinical eating disorder which is very different um but you know i mean that's it it's like like you said overlap um and a lot of athletes you know whether you're a high level soccer i mean we see a lot of people um even if you become cat three or whatever um i think at certain times you have done something where in your like you said ecosystem is really good it was this goal and you like to have goals and because, you know, it, you're motivated for change and you like to see change. I feel like there's just a population of humans that we just think everyone thinks like this. And I'm like, no, you know, a lot of people are just okay sitting on the couch all day and playing a video <laughs> game or whatever. And so that's why I became a sports psychologist was that, you know, it was really hard for me to sit there and believe me, I could do it. But I was like, I cannot see for the rest from like the next 20 years sitting with people who don't want to be here and do not want to change. Right. And I'm sitting there, I'm telling them how to do it. And they don't, they don't want my advice. They don't want to be here. You know, they've just settled. They're complacent. Because um, even I have depressed people that want to get better, you know, um, or I know how to work with them because like that's not their character is the difference in your mental illness you know so it's right. like there is a piece that we can we can get there we might need medication you know we might need to talk you know every week or whatever it is um but I just think you know sometimes I feel like we don't allow ourselves to be whole humans where you like you said the gold standard is that you just really want to like crush this week at work even though you've only been on three hours of sleep and you're stressed but you know you gotta show up and just like me I was like I, yeah, I'm stressed. I'm not going to say I'm not, but that doesn't mean I still can't be a good psychologist and therapist. 
because you know right. that's just that's just who I am. I'm gonna show up or you know and give it my best. And maybe yeah, maybe I had an off day, right? And you know, I, I, didn't, so you, I didn't hurt that person. Perfect damage was done. No permanent damage. That'll be okay. <laughs> you mentioned a really interesting thing, which is that a lot of your clients are um, A type A, but but they're very goal driven people. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that that is, you know, obviously high performance world, you're, you're goal driven. Um, and that's a really interesting question that I, I sort of want to pivot the conversation around to briefly, um, because I think it's applicable to a lot of our listeners is we're all goal driven people and 2020 became the year of the great interruption, um, right? Like all the goals did not change. They just were deferred, right? And how have you helped your athletes with that? Right. I, I know speaking personally, right? Like this was going to be my yeah. big return to racing year because I had oh, all my yeah. and it was going to be great. Mm-hmm. My legs were going to work and I was going to get to race. And oh well, we'll see about that next year now. Um, but you know, you had people who are ready to go to Tokyo. And mm-hmm. so um and how do you go from being selected and qualifying for the Olympics and just be okay with that and Stay focused and keep your eye on that ultimate goal. First off, and you don't have to be okay with it. Oh, see, that's great. <laughs> Coping mechanism you know what I'm number one. Yeah, it's okay. You can scream. You can be depressed. You should be depressed because if you're not, you're just suppressing it. Like I'm sorry. Like, right. and I, you know, and it's just as bad because I have a lot of clients who thought they were going to retire after this year. Right, and we even saw that with some mountain bikers who it. You know, it did end up like Annika Langvik. I mean, you know, like, I'm sure she thought, you know, I got everything together, which obviously she did, you know, finally get healthy. And and then, like, what a weird way to go out, right? right. Very kind of anticlimactic for someone who achieved all that she achieved. But again, you know, and unfortunately in our sport, it's like, if you're not hot, you're, you're forgot, <laughs> you know? Right. So, um, which I mean, I don't, like, I just... I, you know, the athlete, they may not be doing that great for two or three years, but they show up, they still love their, they still do their job. They are there for their sponsors, you know, all that stuff. So that's kind of what we shifted to was, all right, like this sucks, marinate it. You know, this is a coronavirus. You need to stay home anyway. So just like do what everyone's doing, stay inside or whatever, you know, your state and just be like everyone else. And just, you know, like, because one month off, and you going out there and training and probably causing more harm to yourself mentally and physically because you're going to probably burn yourself out, right? Um, and then as it, like, became more each month, got kind of like, well, we're not going to do this. Then we just had to, like, restructure it and say, all right, like, so you're stressed. Um, but it was really challenging in my – because everyone was completely different. Unlike if you were an athlete in Spain or France – but, you know, I mean, I literally would have people like say in California, right, um, where they literally could not leave their house or go out or, you know, felt uncomfortable even being out there because they're just very moral people. Right. Versus people who lived out in the middle of nowhere and could go and ride their bike and do whatever they wanted, really. Right. Um, so then that was something because everyone like at least with people, it's like we know these races, at least my job. I'm sort of like, all right, we've got these we're going to get into this rhythm where hopefully you're showing up, not overburned out, overtrained in your off season and trainings, whatever. And you're going to potentially hit your peaks, right? We're going to race, recover, race, recover. Maybe there's an injury in there. All right, we get better. You go race. They don't give, there's not a chapter that says how to be a sports psychologist during a pandemic. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I, only thing I could do was I knew I was going to be the only person, like the devil, I guess, on your back, saying less is more. Because yeah. I was looking big picture where I was like, I'm a realist. I also have clients who, you know, are in like, you know, the CDC. <laughs> so I got background information. I was like, this shit ain't going away anytime soon in America if we just look at, obviously, not to get political, but you can't not get political talking about it um, because it's within federal, you know, federation or state. Again, every state's different. Um, right. So for me, it wasn't fair because it's like, well, 
you know, you literally, you cannot, you have to get up Instagram or whatever because you cannot compare yourself to other people because at this point, yeah, you might have a season, but you are not going to be able to train in a way that you can because you literally cannot, or you might, you know, be fined or you might get the virus and die. Right. So, um, so it was just me really being that stickler of making sure everyone was more rested um, was doing different things, was coming up with other things like rides or benefits, you know, finding meaning purpose in other ways, um, spending time with their loved ones and just like being more of that human and just saying, you know, your sports goals, we'll, we'll worry about it when it gets closer to that. So really being more present. And I think if, you can either get like an A, B, C, or D of how you like either, you you know, A or F for how you pandemic is how I kind of joke about it. But really, and some of my athletes like, man, you got solid Bs in pandemic, you know, some yeah. maybe not so much. And, you know, you're going to learn lessons sometimes the hard way. Um, and But also there's just, you know, you just don't ever know. I think it's more learning within your body, what you can do. And unfortunately, as athletes, we're always one degree more of, I mean, rarely are people undertrained as much these days. It's more that most people are overtrained. And then a pandemic, right? Like, I don't care if you even think that you're not stressed, you're stressed. I always said, like, when it happened, imagine that you're an astronaut out in space and you're looking down on Earth and there's like a gray cloud around the world. Because literally the whole world is stressed and Americans like way more stressed. And then, you know, your Olympics might be canceled. Like, I mean, you know, but going and training, like you're going to go right back into your season. Everything's normal. Um, For me, just look like a recipe, you know, probably for disaster, unfortunately. Um, So it was more of just really teaching people to literally be more present and taking it one day at a time with the, with the most positive outcome that could happen. So let's assume until they're canceled that you're going to be at least 70% where you would like to be. Yeah. Without a pandemic, you'd like to be 90%. Right. Right. Um, but that's just, it's not possible because again, I don't care if we have whoop and all these little gadgets, there's nothing that tells you literally how stressed you are mentally. Right. I know I, I hear that. And it's interesting. So I'm taking a, business analytics uh, decision-making course at the moment, um, which is fascinating. Um, it, you know, using data, using, you know, using framing to make decisions and, and all sorts of things. It's a fascinating program that I'm in. And, and one of the articles I just read for the program was talking about how people who got through the, who pandemic well, to use your phrase, right? <laughs> if you pandemic well, uh, as a business leader, you mm-hmm. uh, you were agile. You were able to pivot. You were adaptable because the circumstances of the pandemic kept changing, right? And so, mm-hmm. yeah, in an ideal world, at T Town, we would have had a season with a normal Friday night racing. We would have had, you know, everything would have run normally. Couldn't happen, so we pivoted. We did organized training, uh, COVID restrictions in place. We said, oh, we can't have mass start racing, so we'll have time trials. We were able to pivot and be very agile, and it was really, I think, a great season at at T-Town for what we had to work with. We kept everybody safe. We had no positive COVID tests. Like, you know, we took a lot of temperatures. We went through three, you know, touch-free thermometers for people's heads, right? Like we, we did mm-hmm. it really well. We did it right. And, and so in reading all of this, this post-pandemic literature now that for, for my class, what's happening is that all of these people who like our organization was agile and was able to pivot and think creatively. But you had to do a lot. I mean, that was a lot of work. You know, you had to make some sacrifices. Yeah. But the interesting part now is the psychology of it is that now people are having that like agility fatigue, right? Like Mm -hmm. they're Mm -hmm. our people are who were, who were so on it, who were like, yes, we're going to be agile. We're going to pivot. We're going to adapt. There is a their cortisol levels are here. They're like, we're going to make this yeah. work. But then, you know, unlike some people that just were like, I'm just going to be couch potato this shit for two or three weeks and just like <laughs> see y'all later. Right. Yeah. Um, but again, like, I love that, that fatigue from. Yeah. 
but it, it it was not not going to happen. I mean, I think that's even what we're seeing about this virus, right. where it's like you know, I think it's just people. So like my last client, she that she was in, it just was able to go over and do. I don't know, it's crazy what things are able to go over to other cities, but you know, I'm not going to question it. Or study abroad in Spain right now as an American, right. and um, she was just talking about like. How, why is it so bad here? And I think it's that. I think, you know, that. Now these people that for six months were nailing it and doing it that, they were kind of like on this upper trajectory, but then there was never this time to just like, you know, how you do three-week build, one week off, right? There was yep. not off. Because even our off right now is stressful. Right, right. And that's our, like our base just went up a level of cortisol levels. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like as a, as a, I don't care what your universal looks like because you know Instagram people are like, oh, they don't have it like as bad as me. And I'm like, let me just pull up my violin, right? <laughs> exactly. Everyone's got their own stuff. It looks different, and we can't right. compare their stuff because they're doing the best that they can with their makeup you know, right. just organically, environmentally, right? Um, I mean, yeah, like, I I, I think I would have been, damn it, better if I'd been stuck back in, you know, Washington State, where I could just go to the mountains and see these beautiful yeah. water and all that. And I'm like, no, I'm stuck, like, in a state that's really flat. And I mean, you know, my, my backyard is beautiful. Um, I have a chronic illness where I literally cannot go outside. So I can't go outside. I'm not really in a beautiful space for me. Like I love mountains and water. Um, and I'm living back with my parents, which all, actually I'm very blessed. It's not a bad thing. Um, you know, but then I think about, and I'm like, well, what's to say that would be better? Because you can't change that. You have to make the right. most of where you're at. But that doesn't yeah, mean that's it. I wouldn't have thrived more. Yeah, maybe. Who's to say? All you can do is say, you know, Maybe I'm not functioning at the highest level, or maybe my mental health is being impacted. So now maybe I do need to see about safely going into the mountains. Like my sister lives in Charleston. She's been spending almost every weekend getting up at like 4 a.m. to go hike to make sure in North Carolina she's not going to hike at high periods because, you know, yeah, she seems she lives by the water, but, you know, she's just like, I got to get out of Charleston. You know, yeah. like there's all these tourist people coming down now and she's just like i can't leave my house on the weekends right and um you know she she like you she pandemic all by herself and i'm like yeah. yeah and i didn't like i took for granted that i had three dogs and two and two other humans so that was pandemic with, right yeah. so now that we're nine months into pandemicing has the yeah, I was just thinking it was six months. <laughs> I, I believe me, March, April, May. Months of pandemic. Oh, we've done nine months of pandemic. My hair was chin length. <laughs> My I really do long. have COVID hair. No haircut, obviously, this hot mess right here. Yeah, my hair was blonde at the start of the pandemic. <laughs> I have way more gray hairs than I ever thought I would ever have. And I was like, I probably would have gone two more years without these grays if it had not. I am totally blaming the pandemic. COVID grays. <laughs> so, so has the strategy for your athletes changed or is it still be present? Well, in the day it's where you funny are? because, you know, I mean, I had a lot of athletes who went back to race, whether it be yeah, Tour de France for true, men true. Um, or, you know, world championships. And again, like, um, you know, I'm, I, I work with athletes all over the all from all the world, but I was, you know, I can't say to my Americans, oh, I'm really kind of worried about how this is going to go. Um, but I was in a way that like, it was just always going to, it's already kind of more of a challenge for Americans because like, you know, it's expensive. Um, even if you have good support from the teams, it's expensive because usually you want to go over before, maybe the team's not going to pay for all that, right? Especially female athletes. Um, I mean, I have some of the best athletes who, you know, they, they still work and they have to take off leave and they have to figure that out. So there's all these, so you have that, which is usually stressful when there's not a pandemic and you haven't been training or racing at all. So, I mean, how many times right. do you go race world championships with maybe never even racing? Right, zero racing in your legs, right? That's insane. Zero. Because, like, you know, one World Cup for me is still equates to zero. Because, again, like, 
I don't care how much we can mental it. And you know, I was like, I, they can fire me. There's nothing I'm going to do mentally to prepare anyone like that. Like, I, that's where I, you know, I'm, I'm very scientific. I'm very evidence-based. Like, you have to be physically fit and you have to have racing in you, but you can minimize the damages. And you have to learn that, like, this may not go the way that I anticipate, but it's worth it because it's my job and I'm going to grow through it and I'm going to learn lessons, but I'm going to try to do it as safe as I can to where I'm not, like, cracked to where I don't ever want to ever race again, right? Um, right? Or you just learn lessons. And and sometimes we have to just learn lessons the hard way, but it's never about one season. And I, I know you've heard me talk about that. I just, like, I call it transition seasons because I hate this idea of, like, 2020 season, 2021 season, and yeah. off season. It's like, no, you're like, you're training for three years. You're training for well, five years. That's really something important for everybody to understand. And I mean, I think, you know, we have a ton of juniors that race at T-Town, right? A ton. Um, and they are, a, a lot of them are hyper-competitive. They're, they're nationally competitive. Um, mm-hmm. They aspire to be nationally competitive. And it's hard for them when you're a junior athlete, right? And you're racing, you should have been racing your, your age 16 year of your 15, 16 junior racing season. And you're not going to get to do that. Um, yeah. Or you're not going to get to wear your national champions jersey that you won as a 15 year old. As a 16 year old, because the next time you get to race, you're going to be 17 and that championship jersey doesn't apply anymore or, or those kinds of things. Totally. Those are legit like upset things. I mean, I hear that too. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no. And I think that that's your point is so good, right? Hey, look, you mm-hmm. can't, you can't look at this in the sphere of one year, just like you can't, the lesson I'm, I'm focusing, my personal lesson this year is not to focus on one workout. It's to work, okay. focus on the, the overarching training versus this one workout wasn't a success. So I'm a failure. It's exactly. um, looking at it in the, in the broader context. And I think something so important for our juniors to take away from listening to you is it doesn't matter if you've lost your age 16 season because it's a continuum, because this is not, mm-hmm. you have to look at the big picture. You have to look at be forward facing for 17, not backward mm-hmm. looking at 16. Um, and I, mm-hmm. and I think that that's such an important message for people to have, or, or for our masters, right? Like we're supposed to have masters at T-Town this summer. People plan their whole season around this national championship and it's deferred. And I think as you mm-hmm. get to be an older athlete, you know, you start to look down the road and you say, I have fewer seasons. Um, right, I right. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's not, and that, that's a sorrow. I mean, it, you know, it is. It, it, especially, like, right. that was going to be the it, last year of putting that much, you know, my wife will only let me do it this one last time or whatever, you know, right, the excuse right. and things. <laughs> I, and I, but I think your point is so valid, whether it's the Olympics or Masters National Oh, you know, it's, it's all, and if you um, fall, you know, if you go over and you don't meet your goals, I, if you don't learn lessons, then, you know, maybe that's the lesson that you needed. That's going to actually help you achieve the bigger picture. And I think that was the biggest thing was like making sure that everyone was still excited and wanting to race. And if you were going into racing and, and, you know, yeah, there was all this unknowns, as long as you were there for the right reasons and you knew that you crossed your T's and dodged your I's and did the best that you can. Yeah. You can be disappointed in the outcome. You should be like, I mean, you know, I want you to win too. Um, but you won't be disappointed in yourself and the effort. Right. And then you just have to like learn lessons and say, all right, like, you know, X, Y, Z didn't happen. Um, you know, I have a lot of athletes who, oh my gosh, I need to be winning U23s or juniors, you know, eight, 17, 18. And I'm like, and it, you know, yeah, it's one thing to hear. Oh, people don't ever remember that. You know, I'm like, well, yeah, but the people that want to win that, as long as they don't get burned out by the age of 22 are the ones that are going to go on and actually win world championships one day. Right. Because, um, you know, again, you, I can't train that. Like the hardest thing for me as a sports psychologist is someone that's under like motivated. That's usually they're depressed, right? Or they just don't need to be doing their sport anymore, which, you know, I had a, that same athlete that kind of helped me cliche happy races go faster. One day he uh, later down the road that we were working together and I started building my clientele and every, every, every few 
top athletes, people would stop their sport. And he's like, yeah, you're really good at like, you know, getting people to quit their sports. I was like, you know, I don't think that will become my hashtag. <laughs> but again, like it is important because I'm not here to make you win medals. I'm here to help make you a healthy, a, a healthy, happy human. Because if you're not a happy, healthy human, I promise you, you're not going to, or you're, they're going to be empty, empty gold. It's just going to be like, right. like, yeah, gold medal or whatever. But you know, you were so petrified. I mean, the worst thing I can hear was, you know, after, oh, I'm so glad that's over with. Yeah. You know, I'm like, you were that stressed that made you that sick, that panic attack right. or whatever that you couldn't, like a whole European, like you were in Europe for two months at 18. Go, you right. know, meet some, have your first romance, French romance, right. eat lots of Delala. I mean, like live life. And so, you know, I'm that person because I might be the only person that's in their network, unfortunately, of high performance that's going to make sure that that the human side of sport is touched on. And 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 the more that you can fail and still get back up, you know, that famous, you know, Japanese proverb of like fall seven times, get back eight up. Like, that's like awesome. I mean, I love failing because I know at this age, like. When I fail, I know right around the corner is like, I'm going to like surprise myself. And that's my right. goal. It's like, I want like, okay, cool. You want to go to the Olympics. I want you to win the Giro Rosa. I want you to like, what is that crazy thing that you're like, I, there's no way in hell that would ever happen. I want to help you surprise yourself. Um, right. And even if you don't have a sports psychologist, that would be my goal to any, it doesn't matter, you know, if you're listening to me and you're 15 year old, like, what is it about your sport that you love and enjoy? What, why are you doing it? Now, what's the why? And how can you surprise yourself? And dream big, go put that thing on a piece of paper and nail that thing to your wall, go to the Olympics. Because if you right. can't say, I want to go to the Olympics, and I don't care your kid, your parents may be like, cute, that's that's a cute dream. No, because I can tell you, you asked Leah Davidson, you asked Megan Garnier, I mean, Sarah True, I can go on Emily Fatty, anyone that went to Olympics many times even, that they were that kid that sat there when they were eight and said, I want to go to the Olympics one day. And it doesn't mean they have the best physical abilities at first. No, they work their ass off hard. For many years, every once in a while, people are just going to be naturally talented, right? The female, but, but those are the exception, not the rule. Those people are usually like, but think about it the phenoms. If we look at even European athletes, it's like, well, they're not really phenoms, like they've been riding and racing their bikes since they were two years old, right? Right? Um, you know, the Mariana Voss is like, I don't think that she. Obviously, she's not any better than a lot of the other women. It was more like she had the mental edge. She had the support. Like, there was just a lot of other things about her. It wasn't just that, that she was a pure phenom, you know, right. um, because I, but there are people that, you know, like, they ride a bike one day, the next day, they're winning some race in Europe. But let's see how long they stay in the sport. Right. Or how much joy they get out of it. Because you're not the longer that you're working at something, the more you're going to enjoy it. But the minute it's not fun, then the more that you set yourself up for not optimal performance. Like, it's not going to be like sprinkles and unicorns every day, but you know, right. I mean, there's days I wake up where I'm like, you know, I really can go without talking to anyone five minutes within my first client. I'm not even thinking about that. Right. right. Like it's because I'm love what I do. I don't take that for granted, but you know, sport is really hard and it's really unique. Unlike anything else, you can't compare it to being a surgeon, like, because most likely it's something that you had to have cultivated for a long time. I mean, even the Michael Jordans look at it. Like he was right. a, you know, really good athlete in baseball. And, you know, I mean, you know, pick me, pick out anyone, uh, Michael Phelps. I mean, he was, you know, a rigid, I mean, look at what age we let him go to Olympics and right. expected him yeah. to like win everything at that age. You know, and most people, that. kids, oh my God, the burden of the United States of America on his shoulders. 
Right. But then, right. you know, you mess up one time and it's like, oh, you know, like you're tainted or whatever. Um, so, you know, trying to be the best is it's, it's not going to be all glory days, but that's why you should want to do it is is because if it doesn't make you scared, then, you know, we only get one shot at life. And I truly believe in like setting big goals, um, but not everyone's goals are going to be the same and, and going to the Olympics. You don't have to do that. It can just be winning, you know, your next race or, you know, making an A in that class that like at the beginning of the semester, right. you didn't think you were going to do well. And the um, mind over matter is, is a really true thing. And that's part of what, you know, you and I, like you and I've worked on in your professional life. Right. Um, previous challenges that came up because of, TV shows or triggers in life and things. <laughs> so, so yes, we can say it, everybody. I had to call Kristen on a Saturday night because the Gilmore Girls gave me an anxiety attack, <laughs> and I don't know. And that's I am dedicated. <laughs> I, was like, I can't breathe. Like, why not? Like the Gilmore Girls. Yeah, it's, it's true. I don't know why. No. Day, what, what it was about that episode, but it wasn't a good one. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, <laughs> well, but you know, go back to where you were at that time in life. It, yeah, you were trying to figure out a lot of things, and that's it. We're, we're, you know, I always laugh. It's like we're all one degree of separation away from craziness, whatever you want to call it, right? Like, I mean, I think I've seen it. Um, no one is immune from depression, anxiety. Um, Everyone has anxiety and depression. They're just words. Um, there's a difference between a clinical, right? Where it's like, okay, my activities of daily living are being, I can't work. I can't, you know, I'm not eating. I'm not sleeping. Um, I'm not engaged. You know, I don't, you know, I've shut the world out. Don't contact my friends anymore. Um, you know, whatever those symptoms are. Um, and, you know, life is hard. And right now, um, you know, it's hard. And, you know, for you teenagers, kids listening, like, man, I just, we aren't talking enough about that generation. I just, you know, we just assumed, yeah, forget it. Y'all got it. Like, I put yourself in, I was like, I don't even know what I would be going through right now if I was in college or high school with how they're adapting yeah. and, and just rolling with the punches. Um, I have a lot of, as a world, I think, I think we're in good hands, honestly, um, because I think it, again, hopefully more people than not were evolving during this time because they were spending more time with family. They were realizing what's really important. Um, maybe they were, you know, excited to make new goals or finally went back to school or, you know, take those risks as long as they're safe. Right. Um, because, you know, that's, that's kind of the beauty of life. You, you every day is a new opportunity to change whatever, you know, way that you want to, the stories, how I kind of look at it, you know, own your story, right. right? We all can like, you know, start a new chapter. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's super interesting. And I think, you know, there is a opportunity in this year of interruption to, to sort of reset and to refocus and sort of figure out, reprioritize. And, you know, I know for me personally, I've been trying to figure out, Hey, do I still enjoy this process? the discipline do I still enjoy mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. the the rigidity right I mean like I think you and I joke about that a lot like I enjoy the structure I enjoy the rigidity and and there was a few weeks where I was like ooh, questioning do I still actually enjoy this because am I mm -hmm. just making myself nervous about it and I, I think it was a good time for reflection on that and ultimately come out on the other side you say yes or no I don't and in my case mm -hmm. I came out mm -hmm. saying you know, actually, I do think that this is something I still enjoy. Um, but yeah. there was definitely a time of, of reflection on that coming through this whole period. And I think that's not unique to, to high performance. It's not unique to uh, to one particular age group. I think, you know, the, the high school kids can do that, too. The, the masters of my age people certainly can do that and say, you know, hey, I'm 100%. reflecting on this. This is an opportunity to reflect and do that thing that you were just talking about, the goal setting. And maybe that goal setting has changed in in exactly time. there is no going back to normal like i'm sorry right. bike racing even t-town all that is never gonna look like it did before yep it's true and so you either you either 
reframe that thing mm-hmm. um, or you or you do a different thing. Um, but I, I think that it's it's been an interesting year for a lot of athletes in that regard and, and certainly um, you know, humans in general, right? Just not just athletes, but everybody. But it is a time where I think, you know, it is it is a good opportunity to do goal setting and to to reevaluate where you are and how you prioritize things and and really ask yourselves those questions about the enjoyment. Do I enjoy two and a half hours on the bike doing VOs? Yes or no. Um, and if the answer yeah. is yes, then keep doing your two and a half hours of the bike on doing VOs, right? Or or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I think some people are afraid, like if I step away and I take a break that, you know, I'm not going to reclaim my happiness or I'm not going to be as dedicated. <laughs> Or they'll lose their identity. And I think that's a big piece of it. Well, identify that's a whole nother like podcast call. To be continued. Yeah, we can exactly. talk concussions. We can talk athletic identity. We can talk about yeah. what it's like to be a female athlete. Exactly. Yeah. Let's to be continued. I like it. We'll have a, a running strong string of these conversations. Um, and I've taken up a lot of your time and I'm incredibly thankful for it. But I do have one. We always do silly questions at the end. Um, Ooh, yay. So oh gosh. Um, well, just, well, so the, performance anxiety. Your next, not super silly. It's more, I'm, I'm really curious. Um, but like we've done questions like thoughts on Crocs. Um, we're not going to give you the thoughts on Crocs question. Um, we're going to make you answer like spontaneously quick snap, snap. Next tattoo. Oh, um, it's already created. It's going to be a, uh, Pace up on my upper arm. I've actually had to postpone it twice because uh, coronavirus. Um, but you know it's permanent, so um, it's going to be related to my um, rare disease that I was diagnosed with two years ago. Um, and and it's a piece that my art tattoo artist, like I can't share it because you know it's her rights. Um, she created. We came up together, and she has it up on the wall. Um, and she's had every time like we're on social media friends, she says she can't even remember how many times people are like, they want that tattoo. They're like, that is the raddest picture ever. So oh, yeah, so it's a pretty big piece. Um, again, we're kind of idea if I'm going to keep it black or white or, um, but I've, but since then I've come up with like three or four other ones that I want to get um, as long as when it gets, you know, I feel safe and everything to do that. Also just physically um, allowing myself to be in a space where I can heal and all that stuff yeah. too. So. Good question. Interesting. Yeah, I was I'm More dying to, to ask. I know, I can't wait to see. You know, because I, I thought so long about mine and then I thought I knew what I wanted to get my next one to be. And then I was like, you know what? I think I'm never going to get a picture. I've decided I'm only going to have words. Um, oh, I love I'm, that. Well, I definitely have another. I actually have like other words and stuff that I want to get too. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, so yeah. I think Sometimes I'm a word just person. thinking up the, the stuff, like thinking up that stuff is like half the fun of actually getting it and I do feel like you know I think it's like the opposite maybe where I'm like you know when I was younger I was not I was more like it had to be something really important because I'm gonna have it on me and now as I aging I'm just like whatever <laughs> like, so and it's more me I, it's like it's mine <laughs> you know I look at mine and like the words just make me happy every time I see it and I'm just like me too. oh like the words make me happy and so like and I love the words yep. and I'm trying to live the words. And they should. Uh, exactly. And, uh, but then I was like, oh, picture. And then I'm like, I don't think a picture would ever make me feel as good as the words. But I'm a word person. I was an English major. And that so, makes you know, sense. I think, that makes sense. You know, I could see but that. I can't wait to I see love yours. that. Ooh, can't wait to see yours. <laughs> It'll be exciting. I mean, in 2021, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> On episode five of our very special podcast series, we'll unveil yeah, exactly. that too. <laughs> um, so before we before we let you go, tell people where they can follow you on the socials because you're posting all sorts of good things and we want folks to be able to follow along with you where you post. So let folks know where can they follow along with you. Oh, well, I am basically at the K2. Um, I'm that at Twitter. So at the K2. Um uh, that is my Instagram. And then I don't really do as much on Facebook, um, but there is a kind of performance consulting page on Facebook. Um, and then, you know, uh, yeah. If, and if you ever have any questions or you might even want to like potentially work together in the future um, right now, I'm not really taking any new clients, but I always tell people to reach out. Like you just never know. I might have an opening. Um, 
I don't like, you know, say I have openings now. I'm just kind of let like let life happen. Um, but uh, my website is kindperformanceconsulting.com, which has all my following information um, as well. Cool. And uh, yeah, and I I love I love what you've done at T-Town. Just want to, you know, I have obviously I have track athletes um, and I've always heard that like that only positive things from the athletes and especially since uh, certain management has changed. And um, even the summer, I mean, just how you did it was just like, I, I mean, it didn't surprise me, but yeah, y'all knocked it out of the park. And, you know, I think that we can let things, we have to open up and we can do it, but it's just going to take compromise from athletes right. compromising and then you know just a, a good city and town and infrastructure working together so keep it up and you know as long as we play by the rules we can have nice things yes yes well thank you for joining us and like everybody follow Kristen on instagram because she drops in the inspirational uh quote of the day uh with great regularity and i find it to be tremendously helpful so on that note we shall let you go thank you This has been the Talk of the T-Town podcast with hosts Joan Hanscom and Andy Lakatosh. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode brought to you by B. Braun Medical, Inc. Head on over to our website, thevelodrome.com, where you can check out the show notes and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. 